In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. There was a, a long period of time, now stay with me on this, that I love Tammy if instead of oh. loving Tammy because. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who was actually in the arena, whose face is marked by dust and sweat and blood. Welcome to the Men in the Arena podcast, where we interview specialists in the realm of manhood. Each of our guests is an expert in their chosen field or cause as it relates to men. Our conviction is to call you into the arena of manhood, call you out of the faceless, nameless bleachers, and call you up to be the best version of you. Because when a man gets it, everyone wins. Enjoy today's episode. Men in the Arena Army, we salute you. Hey guys, thanks for listening to another episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. I'm Jim Ramos. I am your host of the show. Guys, we're almost at five hundred episodes it's been an epic journey and this month was our greatest month we've had to date and uh, really exciting stuff guys happening so hey half a dozen times a year we strategically interview what we call our average joe's arena heroes these are guys like you and me who are out in the arena fighting it getting it done uh loving those people and causes they care about the most don't get me wrong our experts and our authors are still our go-to but every so often we like to keep bring these guys in because these are really the unsung heroes of men in the arena, the organization. And we want to hear your hero stories to celebrate what you're doing when nobody's looking. Our goal is to help our men in the arena to be heroes everywhere they go. I'm really excited about today's guest. He and I have been friends for 20 years. We were duck hunting partners in California. Uh, we met because we went on a Wyoming mule deer hunt together and uh, he shot a 32 inch mule deer on that trip. We had a great time. Anyway, he's a dear friend. It was tough moving away to Oregon because I left several relationships were important to me. This one was one of them. And I'm just excited to have him on the show today. But before I bring my friend Bob on, I want to talk about a man law. Now these man laws guys are supplied by you. You are our audience, and you give us these man laws, and when we're done with this thing, we're going to put them into a fun little man law book, but until then, when you send me your man law, if I use it, we will send you some swag uh, just to say thank you, and we will give you full credit, of course. This man law comes from actually a friend of mine, a local guy here in town, Jeff Van Dyke, and his man law is so appropriate. Uh, some of them are funny, and some of them are, 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 are man laws you want to implement. This is both. This is funny, and I will implement this one. Here it is. On a road trip, the strongest bladder determines the pit stops. Man, I love that. Hey, guys, also want to talk to you about this week's hero story. Comes from Greg in Oklahoma, and Greg said this. I recently lost my job uh, that I poured my heart and soul into for 60, 70 hours a week. I'm devastated to the point of not having good thoughts about my life. A friend of mine shared with me the podcast you recently did about leaving your legacy, and it really hit home. I, too, am a dad who wants nothing more than to be a better parent and husband. It seems every job I had consumes me to the point where there's not much left of me. It sounds familiar, right, guys? He said, uh, I'm at a crossroads trying to figure out what to do next. I'm a Christian, and I've been raised in the church, but not a very good one. I'm a 55-year-old man and just want to find my joy again. I want to be committed to the Lord, but always seem to get off track. I have to change that. I thank you for your message as it made a difference today. Put a little fight back in me. I have been beat up so much. There's not much left. I hope I can find my purpose. So, Greg, there is hope. You've got this, man. You are a man in the arena, and uh, you are going to have a great story to tell when God uh, turns this around for you. You know, Romans 8.28 says, you know, for God works all things out for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Man, we believe in you. You've got this, brother. Hey, reach out to us at info at manandarena.org. Let us know we used your hero story, and we'll send you some swag. So, guys, I want to bring our guest on today. It's my dear friend, Bob Thomason. Again, we go back 20 years. 
Bob is an amazing human, and I've asked Bob to come on the show because he has been so faithful to Jesus, so faithful to his wife and his kids and his church and his community. He embodies everything that it means when I say be a full capacity man, be a man at your best version. He actually shot the biggest buck of his life on a public land hunt in Colorado uh, about a week ago. So he's uh, still going hard, running bleachers. Anyway, you know, training for these hunts. He lives in Clovis, California with his beautiful wife, Tammy. They just celebrated 40 years of marriage. They attended church in Fresno, California. They support pre-marriage and marriage ministries as a group facilitators. Uh, they also do a lot of mentoring with seriously dating or engaged couples. And they love working with these young couples and they love working with marriage couples. They really embody a healthy marriage. His wife, Tammy, is a leader in Bible study fellowship. And Bob regularly is involved in a biweekly Bible study for men doing life with strong men of character who humbly and actively pursue Christ. And, and really, Bob has been getting it done forever. And I just think he's got something to offer for you guys that are maybe in your mid-30s to early 40s that are plugging it through the, the, the arena and grinding it. And man, so many guys have not made it to where Bob is. We've seen so many guys fade over the years. And when you have a guy like Bob on, who just keeps getting it done. It is so impressive to me. And I just want to get Bob on the show today and have a dialogue about what he does to love his wife so well, love his church so well, love his family so well, and love his God so well. So guys, you're going to love this podcast today. Bob, it's great to have you on the show, man. Thanks for coming on. Great to be on, Jim. Good to see you, man. Yeah, it's it's good to see you too, man. I, I finally get a guy on here who, who's uglier than me, so... Uh, I welcome that. So, hey, congratulations on your big buck, man. <laughs> Biggest buck of your life last week, huh? Thank you. Yeah, it was a good one, man. It was a good hunt. Um, total adventure. Uh, booty kicker, man. You know, mile and a half down in, mile and a half out on our backs. You know, a couple trips. It was uh, it was a tough one, but what a great adventure. And I had one of my best friends right by my side. Uh, actually spotted the buck. And then uh, the 1,800-yard the stock was on. And so an hour later, man, I had him on the deck and it was, it was just a great rewarding hunt and to do it with, you know, uh, one of my best friends was awesome. So we got to do that sometime soon, Jim. Well, I keep waiting for the invite. I've got, I've got tons of points all over the place. My son is finally graduating his final year of college football. And so, uh, I've got all these States I want to hit up and that was good, but we did get him his first buck this year. So I'm really excited about that. And I got my son Darby, his first axis archery deer. Uh, over the summertime. So, hey, man, God takes care of us. Life is good, man. So, hey, Bob, I, I just I just really am excited to have you on the show, man. If, on a selfish standpoint, you know, you're you're a, a, a great friend. I, I've told my wife numerous times, I wish I had a friend in Oregon like Bob. I just don't connect with anybody up here like I connect with Bob. And I, you know, have that guy that, you know, we've killed banded ducks in the Kern Refuge and we've had all-nighters it's sleeping in the bucket seats of our trucks in a Mendota refuge and uh cold Wyoming nights. But, you know, I have told a story about these two guys that spooned me in the wilderness of Wyoming. You are not one of those guys. It was Jeff and Dennis, but what a great trip to Wyoming and man, look forward to get back there again. But I want to, I just want you on the show, Bob, because I respect you. You've been serving the Lord for all of your life. You've been unwavering in your faith and your, your uh, vibrant, uh, love for Christ. And I think you've got something so strong for guys to learn from, especially these guys who are in their thirties to forties. They're in the bubble. They're in the, the arena. They're just, the life is consuming them. And I just want them to know there's hope they can do this. And I think you're the, a great model for that. So I appreciate you modeling what you're modeling. You're really modeling a guy who's living out his best version. Thank you, Jim. I appreciate that, man. Yeah. So, hey, I want to I want to go back. Uh, I remember you've told sitting in the duck blind in the years we spent together. You shared some stories that were pretty important. One of them is in my book, uh, the field guide, the bathroom book for men. I want you to go back uh, to your younger days. Tell us about the car wreck, uh, how you met your wife, Tammy. And uh, I want to hear about the Mendota duck blind with Jim and the day you got saved. OK, yeah. So, you know, uh, just to kind of rewind from that a little bit, um, I was brought up in the church, right? A little Baptist church and spent a lot of time in church with mom, you know, uh, memorizing scripture. And, and um, I accepted a Christ at 
accepted Christ at a very young age. You know, I was probably five, five years old, but it was, you know, it's vivid in my memory. I uh, knelt down next to my mom's bed and accepted Christ for the first time. And I knew Christ was always with me. It was blatantly obvious to me. He was with me throughout um, my more turbulent years and the teen years and so forth. And so fast forward, uh, you know, I was about uh, 18 years old. And uh, right after graduation, um, you know, I was in a, a kind of a party situation with my best friend at the time. And my little brother had just dropped him off. And we were headed over to Craig's house and he was having some some challenges with his mom and his relationship with her. And uh, and we were headed over there, man. And, and then life happened. And uh, we were headed through an intersection and a Porsche ran a red light, um, hit us. There was about a 90 mile an hour impact, five cars involved. It was an awful accident. Um, and unfortunately, I was intoxicated. So was Craig. I had a seatbelt on. He did not. And uh, it was devastating, man. Um, everyone at the scene was hospitalized, some worse than others, but Craig got it the worst. Um, he wound up in the back seat of my car. You know, I was driving and the impact was great. And when I learned that night that Craig was paralyzed and they didn't know if he'd walk again, uh, I just, I just, that hit me like a ton of bricks and it was extremely heavy. And I believe that's um, kind of, mo of a moment in time when the Lord, began to get my attention. You know, uh, I wasn't living for him. I was just, you know, kind of walking selfishly through life, right. Um, going one party to the next carousing, just the lifestyle, um, that was apart from the Lord. And, uh, God got my attention with that accident for sure. Um, and so the amazing thing, you know, we, we, we hear, you know, God brings beauty from ashes. It certainly happened in my life there when, uh, I was visiting Craig on my way to work every day, Community, Fresno Community Hospital Trauma Center was on my way to work. So I hit him on the way there and on the way home. He was in the hospital for 13 months, uh, you know, in and out of ICU, set the record for ICUs in there for close to five months, you know, people dying around him every day. It was awful. And I remember going in there visiting Craig and his family would, would be there. And I'd never met his sister. And I met his sister, Tammy, visiting him in the hospital. And I remember seeing her picture on the wall at his house, but I'd never met her, you know, like, you know, I was working and she was, you know, doing school and had other friends and stuff. But I'd, I'd look at her picture and say, dude, I want to marry your, your sister. You know, and he's like, you stay away from my sister. <laughs> <laughs> this is his twin but, sister, uh, right? Funny story, man. And just how God um, can amazingly reach in and do something, man, is, um, you know, I meet Tammy in the hospital. She falls madly in love with me. Um, and, you know, the rest is history, man. And so I've spent 40 years with this woman that God brought to me on like my darkest night, man. I mean, uh, every day I woke up, I was thinking this was just a bad dream. And it was a Sioux fest. I mean, you know, people suing each other's, you know, and each other's insurance companies. And it was a, it was a nightmare, but God brought beauty from ashes, man, and brought this woman to me, um, which was totally amazing. And so that was kind of the start of my road back to Christ. Um, fast forward a little time further, one of my best friends who, you know, was a, a, a drinker and carouser and we partied a lot together goes up to a men's retreat a men's conference uh, up at Hume Lake and gets radically saved him and his dad both and he comes down we called him Jesus freak you know he comes down we'd call hey man let's go shoot some pool let's go out you know Jim's like no man I'm not living that life anymore I'm living for Christ you know and uh and you should be too <laughs> so Jim always had a he always had a boldness about him uh, Jim Wood, and he's been a lifelong friend of mine, and we're still doing life together. I attend his men's Bible study bi-weekly, um, and uh, we, uh, we we love the outdoors, right? Did a lot of hunting together. My dad kind of adopted Jim like a like a fourth son, you know, and uh, and he came in, and and so we were doing life together in the great outdoors, and we went we went to Mendota one night, pouring down rain. We were supposed to get an inch of rain. We're in the back of his Jeep pickup with a tarp over the top of us. And this guy whips out his Bible and starts reading to him. And well, he asked for permission. I'm like, yeah, sure. You know, and well, what was amazing was is some of the scriptures he was reading. And I still had memorized like I was like, I know that one. You know, I know that one. And Jim, you know, basically told me, he said, hey, Bob, you know, when are you going to get your life right with Christ? And I said, oh, I said, I said, yeah, I said, I'm going to do that. You know, one of these days I said, but man, I'm not going to be a hypocrite. Right. Like I'm going to I'm going to clean things up, man, before I. I come back to Christ and he, 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 Jim looked at me, he said, Oh, he said, so you're going to go to hell. I said, Whoa, 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 pump the brakes, man. 
I go, you coming on a little strong here. He goes, well, well, listen to what you're saying. He goes, let me ask you a question. I said, sure. He said, do you bathe after you shower? I'm like, what? He goes, I'll ask you a different way. Do you shower after you bathe? I go, come on, man. Nobody does that. I said, no, I don't bathe after I shower. He said, then listen to what you're saying. You're saying you're going to clean up your life, okay, before the cleaner upper of life comes in. Bob, you got you got stains on you. You can't wash off, man. Only blood of Jesus, you know. And man, that hit me like, like a freight train, right? And I began to just ponder, and I said, man, there's no time like the right time, right? And he led me to Christ right there in the back of that pickup in the pouring down rain at Mendota Wildlife Refuge, and my life has never been the same. Um, now it's been a bumpy road, right? It's not bad. It's ups and downs. I'm so grateful for a God who will reach in and and work on parts of my life in the process and not all at once, right? Because I had I had stains on me that you know uh, he definitely yeah. needed to work on. I had sin in my life, and the Lord was faithful, man, to you know to lead me out of a, a lifestyle that was ultimately leading me to hell. So, so grateful for that. did you mention in your story? that Tammy was your best buddy's twin sister? Oh yeah, twin twin sister. Yeah, no, I probably didn't. So yeah, that was my buddy's <laughs> twin sister. That and, is just uh, so funny. <laughs> it was funny. I mean, I didn't see that coming, man, for nothing, right? That was just like that's a it's a god story, you know, like everything is. It really is. It really it's a great story and just watching you live your life and you you said something in your story I, I want to go back and revisit because I think this is important theologically for guys to understand this. You said that you got saved at the bedside of your at your bedside when you're about 5 years old and then you said just now that you your buddy Jim led you to Christ in Mendota. So so that can be confusing for guys. So you accepted right. Christ but then you were led to so I want to I want to unpack this a little bit Bob because I think this is a, a a a problem that a lot of guys have, right? This problem of I'm a Christian, so I'm good to go. So how would you distinguish between when you prayed that prayer and accepted Christ at your bedside versus that night in Mendota in the pouring rain and you actually gave your life to Christ? How would you distinguish between those two? So because these there are guys listening right now, Bob, who are Christians, but they aren't living for Christ. So can you walk us through that? Yeah. So, you know, I think, I mean, consider my age, right? Five years old. I mean, I think I knew what I was doing when I accepted Christ with my mom um, because I had heard what God's word had said. And and I do believe I was making a conscious effort to accept him as my savior. But let's face it, at five years old, I don't think I could fully wrap myself, my head around, you know, and my heart around what was actually happening, what Christ was doing in me. Right. Um, so later in life, I had obviously, you know, been living a selfish life and kind of going my own way. What's interesting is, Jim, is that entire time I know that God's Holy Spirit was in me. I know because at every point I would hear that still small voice telling me this way, not that way. Do this, not that. I, I knew I had the Holy Spirit in me. Um, but what began to happen, you know, like Romans 1 says, you know, when, when we don't um, walk in obedience or stop listening to the Holy Spirit, ultimately we can kind of become seared. And I think there was a kind of a searing process that happened to me over time when I was young and into my teen years and into high school. I chose to live life at that time during the, or you know, just, I mean, yeah, that's when a lot of us sow our oats, right? And we're looking in the mirror a lot, trying to figure out who we are and so forth. So, you know, through the identity crises of life and, and all of that, I began to live by the dictates of my own will versus, you know, humbly submitted to Christ. And I think at that point where I had this accident and it was heavy, okay, uh, there were also other things going on in my life that I knew there was guilt, there was shame. And I knew I needed to be free from that. I knew what Jim said was the truth. I have stains on me. I can't wash off like nothing but the blood of Jesus, you know. Um, and so I needed to make a decision in keeping with my prior commitment to come back to Christ. So, you know, if you want to call it a rededication or what have you, um, I had to make a commitment 
to ultimately live my life humbly submitted to Christ versus living by the dictates of my own will. And that decision was made. I mean, I recognize that that was the decision that night. It's like, I got to, I got to let go of the past. I know Christ can wash me of it. He can forgive me, you know, and I accepted his forgiveness. I accepted the gift of salvation at that point to move forward with Christ. And it wasn't easy. Like, you know, I still struggled with sin, you know, and I still do to this day. But I mean, even then, when the decision was fresh, I was struggling um, from one day to the next. But what God did give me from that night forward was an absolute hunger and thirst for truth, for his word. I could not get enough of God's word. He um, renewed me in that, revived me in that. And every waking moment, it seemed like I had my Bible in front of me and I was diving into God's word for his truth, getting questions answered about my salvation and this experience that I had, had just had and what's ahead of me, you know, learning how others, right, throughout the course of time in history had trusted um, the Lord God to do a work in their lives and how they remained humbly submitted to them. I wanted that life, you know? Well, you know, it's interesting, Bob. I don't know how much of my story, you know, I know, you know a lot of it, but I got saved after my senior year of high school with my high school football coach. And uh, about four years later through a series of real serious football injuries, one of them, I was overdosed by the anesthesiologist during a knee surgery. I went code blue uh, I was literally blind for three days, eyes swollen shut. And in that moment, God spoke to me and called me into ministry. And uh, two years later, I was in ministry and had radically surrendered my life to Christ. But one of the things that is similar to your story, Bob, is when I was when I radically surrendered my life to Christ, uh, when I had my Mendota, you know, wildlife refuge moment, I had such a passion and a hunger for two things obeying the Bible and reading the Bible, just like what you were saying. You know, you had said something earlier when you're sharing your story. You said the Lord, after the accident, the Lord got my attention. You know, there are guys listening. Guys, if you're listening right now and you're in the middle of a valley of shadow of death, you're in a dark moment, maybe God is getting your attention. Maybe he's trying to wake you up and maybe he's trying to say to you, Yes, I, I believe you're a Christian. You're one of mine, but you're not radically surrendered to me. What would you tell that guy, Bob? Well, there's hope in Christ. Um, lay it down. There's nothing more important for you to do in life. Look, there's a lot of things lobbying for our affections as men. There's a lot of distractions in this life. There's nothing more important than a life humbly submitted to Christ. Okay? That... that um, it's eternal. It's not temporal, right? It's something that's extremely important. Jim, let me, let me share, um, kind of what I was feeling. Um, I can't describe it other than there was this heaviness when I made the decision to follow Christ. Um, I was feeling, um, like I had betrayed him, like Mm. I had let him down for all these years. Like I had not, I had not kept my end of the commitment. Okay. That's kind of how I was feeling um, in the back of that pickup. And later when I would read in more depth, the story of betrayal with Peter, the rock. Right. Mm. And, and so, uh, you know, let me take you there for a second because this has been so profound and powerful in my life. I look at Peter, Lord, I'll never betray you. Jesus says to him before cock crows, um, you know, you're, you're going to have de- denied me three times. Right. And in our humanness, we make oaths that we can't back up. OK, uh, God knows the depravity and the sinful capability in all of us. And I think sometimes we don't yep. recognize that. Um, yeah. So I look at Peter's life. Look what transpires after the betrayal. I don't know about you, Jim, but a lot of times I think, man, this hammer is going to fall hard because of what I did, right? Like it's coming down. But the reality is we have a God who loves us unconditionally. And in spite, despite our sin and 
our darkness, okay, and our, our bent towards selfishness and willfulness, he pursues us. So what does Peter do after the betrayal? Do you remember? He says, well, boys, I'm going fishing. He went, he does what you and I do, Jim. He went right back to the very thing Christ called him out of. That's our tendency yep. is to return to it, to our comfort level, what have you. And I look at that and I go, wow, now, that's, that's a cause for Christ to be done with him even more, right? I mean, it's like, not only did he betray me, you know, uh, to others, but he, he is now basically going back to the very thing I called him out of. How could he do such a thing, right? But the amazing thing is, is who shows up, okay? On that sea, shore, man, charcoal fire laid, smell of fish, you know, cooking. Catch anything yet, boys? I mean, there's that familiar sound, right? Hey, wait a minute. Deja vu, right? I've been here before. And, and the disciple whom Jesus loved, John, says, hey, it's the Lord, right? And Peter throws himself in the water, right? And he comes to the shore. And we see this beautiful picture of the Lord Jesus Christ restoring a man in his brokenness and, and in a place where, you know, he had to be feeling pretty rough right? Pretty beat up. And what did he get from the Lord Jesus Christ? He didn't get rebuke, right? He got reproof, okay? But it's interesting, he asked him three times, do you love me, right? And then late, and then he would tell him that ultimately, you're going to have the opportunity to prove your love for me, right? Because later on, people are going to come and make demands of you and take you to a place you don't want to go is obviously speaking of, of the death that Peter would die, you know, for Christ. And I look at that story and I thought, my goodness, the Lord Jesus Christ never lets us go in spite of our mm -hmm. betrayal, in spite of our sin, in spite of our rebelliousness. And that's my story. He never let me go. He pursued me. He stops at nothing to see his people free. Peter wasn't free at the time. You know, he was bound up, man. You can't, you can't even imagine probably what was going through his head, right? I'm going fish. I'm going back to my comfort. I'm going back to what I know, right? Because I screwed this up, right? No, Jesus came back and restored. And that's what he does. So it's really interesting, Bob, that you're telling the story about Peter, because two things as you're speaking stand out to me. The first thing is this. In Luke chapter five, the first big catch in the calling of Peter, their nets ripped. But in John... John records, and John was very careful to say, but the nets did not rip. So somewhere <laughs> along the line, Peter was preparing for a moment so that his nets would hold. But I think what really inspires me, and one of the favorite, my favorite two words in the Bible is found in Mark chapter 16, verse 7. Peter had denied Christ three times. Jesus died. He was risen again. He appears to Mary, and he says to Mary, now I want you to go and tell the disciples what you've seen. And Peter. And Peter. And those two words inspire me because we have a gospel of a second chance. Yeah. There's always a second chance. There's even in the story I shared before you came on, Bob, about uh, a man in Oklahoma who's really struggling in a dark moment. There is always, this is the gospel of a second chance. And that's the beauty of the gospel. So what do you have to think? What do you say? <laughs> no, for sure, crazy. man. So what do you have for to say sure. about that, man? But no, I mean, it's spot on, man. I love that. I love that. And Peter, you know, don't forget him. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it's probably because of where Peter was at. You know, God knows yep, exactly sure. where all of us are at. You know, he's not surprised or shocked at what we think, you know, and what we do. He recognizes, you know, um, our our potential of both evil and good. And, and we have to remember that God's not surprised by anything, that, but he knows. That's the amazing thing. He knows. Um, but, you know, you mentioned Mary, right? And Jesus did. OK, but she didn't even recognize it. Right. I mean, here she exactly. is crying out, cr absolutely crying out. And I know there's been times in my life, Jim, where things have happened and I'm crying out to the Lord. Lord, where are you? Like, where are you in this? You know, where are you when my grandson 
is is you know uh experiencing seizures where are you in that in this part of my life and mary magdalene remember jesus had cast seven demons out of her she had been you know delivered from so much she was you know um who's been yep. uh, forgiven much love much right and and so she's crying out for the lord where have you taken him where is he i just need to know right she needed what she needed comfort sometimes brother we need comfort okay and god has been so faithful over the history of my life to comfort me when i've needed comfort when bad things have happened okay but i look at mary and she's crying out and who shows up jesus to who the prostitute okay and here's what i would submit to you um in Ephesians, I believe, chapter 4, verse 9, it says if he ascended to the Father, yep. okay, to, to, to make the final sacrifice for him, right? If he ascended, he also descended into the heart of the earth, yep. what? To lead host the captives, okay? To proclaim the message of the gospel that those that hadn't had an opportunity, he descended. Where was Jesus when Mary was crying out? What I would submit to you is, is he was between there and going to ultimately make a sacrifice. That's why he said what he said. It seemed kind of harsh. I'm like, why did he why did he say that to Mary? Woman, stop clinging to me. I have not yet ascended to my father. Okay. Do you remember that? And I think, yep. whoa, wait a minute. Jesus stopped eternity for a moment to comfort this woman. He stopped eternity. He was between where he descended to, to the heart of the earth, okay, to Hades. And was ascending to the Father, and he stopped for a moment. He stopped eternity for a moment to do what? To comfort his friend. That's the Christ we serve. In the midst of our darkness, in the midst of not knowing where he's at, okay? Um, when we're overwhelmed and we're crying out, he shows up. He has been faithful. Even when I'm not, he's been faithful. And don't get me started on Thomas, Jim. Okay. Well, no, I mean, you're, you're, you're you know, I'm reminded of the, uh, Romans 5, 8, I think it says, God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. And that's Amen. the, that's the thing. Well, the, the fun part about listening to you, Bob, is your faith has not changed in the two decades I've known you. And that's what I want to ask you about. I run into guys that waver a lot. This pandemic, you know, guys have migrated out of churches and they're they're saying to me uh, over and over again, overwhelmingly, I don't need to go back to the local church. Uh, you know, I can be a Christian and not have the, 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 you know, be involved in church or I can be a Christian and not do all these things. And I agree. I, I believe you can be a Bob Thomason, five-year-old Christian at the side of a bed praying a prayer. But I don't believe that you can be a Bob Thomason radically saved in a Mendota, back of a Mendota truck in the pouring rain. I think there's a difference there. And so what I want you to help me out with, man, is, is what have you done? What's your recipe? You know, if a guy was coming to you as a, I know you're a consultant now. If you were consulting a guy spiritually, he just said, man, what do I need to do to live for Christ all my life? What are the things you've implemented into your personal life that have been game changers? Yeah. So, well, first let me say, um, you know, it's never been a bed of roses. Okay. Um, absolutely. And there's, there's been peaks and valleys, right. But I can honestly say Christ has been with me at every point and every turn, every peak and every valley. I know that for a fact. And, um, and he pursues me, but he also expects me to pursue. Right. And to put mm, one foot in front key. of the other. And sometimes that's what it is. It's just putting one foot in front of the other. So, I, you know, I, I, I can name the things that I know you already know, Jim. Um, stay in God's word. OK, stay in fellowship and community. Um, stay in church under a pastor's uh, teaching and um, serve the body of Christ. I mean, these are all, you know, elementary and important things, foundational things. If we want to see our faith grow. OK, if we want to see our, our life in Christ um, fulfill us. Right. And and um, we could talk about that. What I would say to someone who's struggling is exactly what Jesus would say. And and, you know, you, you remember the letters to the seven churches, right? The book of Revelation. Do you remember what he said to uh, one of the churches? He said, go back to doing the former things the things that you did from the beginning. 
And you know, Jim, I have had to do that over and over yep. and over again. When I get to that place where things are difficult, things are hard, and maybe it's not so easy to put that one foot in front of the other, I go back to, okay, I get in God's word. I let God's word nourish me. I let his truth revive me, refresh me, restore me, right? Keep short accounts with the Lord. If I have sin in my life, I got to deal with that sin, right? I need to repent. I need to turn the other way and I need to ask for forgiveness, okay? The reality is he knows all anyway. He knows all anyway. So keep short accounts with the Lord. That helps us to move forward. Why? That guards me from isolation. Let's face it, man. It's sin that causes guilt and shame if we allow it, okay? There's there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ, right? What we recognize is that sin causes guilt and shame. The good news is, okay, is not only is our sin removed, but so is the guilt and shame. If We can confess those things to him, right? It's, it's about walking in the light, Jim. You know, and, yep. and it's not always easy to walk in the light because why? Because we feel vulnerable and we feel exposed. That's the hard part, of, part about doing life with men. OK, but I've committed my life to doing life with men who love Christ and who don't maybe, uh, you know, obey him perfectly. But we're, we're in this together, shoulder to shoulder, locked arms, you know, and speaking truth to one another. I think that's really, really important. You know, if there was one thing, you know. Um, that life in community and, and especially as men is doing life with other men. That's why I love your ministry, Jim. I love what it's God's ministry, but what you're doing with men in the yeah. arena, you're calling people out of the stands and into the re- arena to do life together. Okay. That takes courage. That's not easy. And I can honestly say, man, there's been times in my life when I wanted to run the other way, but typically, absolutely, typically it's brought on by guilt and shame. So am I walking in the light, right? We know what first John one, seven through nine says, right? We walk in the light as he himself is in the light. We have a uh, fellowship with one another, right? One another. Yep. And the blood of his son, Jesus cleanses us from all sin, right? We confess our sins to him. He's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so that's been a really important part as well. And a difficult part because there's vulnerability in it, you know? Absolutely. Um, But yeah, just keeping with those things that I did from the beginning when God's love was fresh and alive and, and, you know, that to me and just walking that out. You know, it's really funny, Bob. I was telling my wife this morning, I'm doing the one year Bible and somewhere along the line, I got out of my daily Bible study and journaling. I'm still doing the one year Bible, but I, about four months ago, I stopped doing the journaling part of my devotional. And I was telling Shanna this morning, I said, man, honey, I said, my Bible study time is dry. And she's like, you need to go and do something different. I'm like, you know what? You're right. And so, uh, you know, I'm kind of in that place right now. I don't know why, but I I tend to get during October, November, I tend to get a little bit dry spiritually. Maybe it's because it's the middle of hunting season or football season. I don't know. But I'm I'm in that place right now and, and going back to what you called the elementary or foundational principles of Christianity. And you mentioned five things, Bob, and I just want to repeat them because I thought they were very, very powerful. And they just flowed out of your mouth like, duh. But we have a lot of guys that are listening to this podcast right now, and they're really in a tension with one of these five things. They're struggling right now, and I, I think it's so important. And these are elementary these are foundational. Therefore, if we neglect those things, we're we're cracking, breaking. We're 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 now on a, 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 a unstable foundation. And you and you said basically, you said fellowship, and then the, your then you said fellowship or doing life with men who love Christ. You said repenting when we find ourselves off track and getting back on track. You said serving in the local serving in the name of Jesus. And I, I thought this was really powerful. You said, read your Bible. We know that. But to me, the most impactful thing you said, and this is where we get some pushback is sitting under the teaching of a pastor. Now I know that, you know, a lot of guys that aren't doing that right now and they think they're okay spiritually. Why do you think it's so important to sit under the teaching of? Well, I think there's, there's a lot of reasons, Jim. Um, for one, from an accountability perspective, you know, and just um, testing, you know, um, ourselves and what we're believing, you know, and getting confirmation 
uh, from what we're reading, you know, and and someone that probably has a little bit more um, experience and wisdom than I do in the word. Um, but it also is a my belief is it's also a practice of humbly submitting. I'm submitting yes. to the authority of, you know, a godly figure. And I believe that's scriptural, you know, and I think that practicing of humbly submitting helps us humbly submit to Christ as well. You know, it's a humble submission to authority and recognizing um, those in spiritual authority over us. Yeah, I think I think that's really important that we humble ourselves. This is a, the fatal flaw of the guy who's not going to church. He's unwilling to humble himself. Now he can say, wait, I'm listening to teaching. I'm, I'm I'll listen to podcasts. I'm listening to this podcast. I'm listening to this preacher. Yeah, that's great. But you're not humbly submitting to me as your leader. You're just, you're just a consumer. And so I think there's something to that. And the other thing, Bob, is in Ephesians 5, it's very clear that our wives are to submit under our leadership as we submit to Christ and become a Christ-like sacrificer for our brides. And how can we ask them to do that if we are unwilling to submit under the a spiritual authority, but we're just an island out there? And I think this is a major flaw in the in the mindset of these guys that are unwilling to attend a church. Yeah. No, I think you're right. And, you know, sadly, we've seen this uh, escalate in the last couple of years, right? Just with what's yes. going on in our world um, and what's going on even locally, right? In the communities where we live, work and, and play. And, and um, it's tragic. It's tragic because um, I believe it, it can ultimately lead to compromise. Okay. And again, I, I get it. I hear the same thing, you know? Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm attending church online and part of me understands that given the situation that everyone has been in. However, we've got to realize we were created for community and fellowship. Yeah. And the thought of us not showing up, you know, I, I mean, for me, it seems like perhaps it's a selfish move. And, and the reason being, um, and Tammy and I attended online church for a little while, right? Well, some of the churches were closing and stuff and our church opened back up and, you know, and there was some apprehension, you know, and we saw that from a lot of folks, you know, and we were trying to give people grace, right? Um, but at the same time, um, it can seem a little selfish because I believe God wants us there in community, not just for ourselves, but for what others can get from us, right? Absolutely. We're doing life together. You know, as iron sharpens iron, so one to another, right? Like we're there, we're we're there supporting the body of Christ, you know. Um, and I think there's plenty of scripture that remind us we're not to forsake the fellowship. And some will justify the fellowship as that, well, I'm attending church, but is that really fellowship? I mean, let's look at the true meaning of fellowship, you know, and doing life together. And I'm thankful, man. I am thankful that we've got a, a church where we're attending that believes wholeheartedly in life in small groups, right? Doing life together. In fact, we call them life groups, right? Foundations groups. And, um, you know, Tammy and I, um, in my bio, I shared with you, you know, we've been doing marriage ministry. You know, we, we dove in here um, several years ago after a situation with, um, with the, our, our kids uh, and their marriages. And we just, we said, man, we got to, you know, we got to move on this. Like this is, there is a need in the church. So we started doing premarital mentoring. Um, and we started doing, uh, you know, marriage mentoring, you know, with re-engage and merge and, and it's been fantastic. Okay. What's awesome is, is that, you know, we're there serving and helping others and at the same time receiving from them. Mm -hmm. So it's mutual. And I love that about, you know, doing life in community. Right. And you never know life happens folks, right? Life's going to happen. And it, you know, it's funny, I can share, we've, we started breaking bread groups together in a church I attended over 45 years ago. I'm still doing life with those guys. We're hunting and fishing together. We raised our kids together. We still do life together. And we've been through some hard stuff, right? In our families, you know, whether it's cancer, yeah. whether it's, you know, this, there's been a lot of things, but we've had that, the body right there next to us to walk through it with us. We are not alone. God created us for fellowship and community. He doesn't want us to be alone. He wants us to, to walk through life together. And there's accountability with that, right? It's all good. It's all good. That's so good, man. Well, I, I want to 
I want to turn a little corner here and talk about your wife. I okay. first met Tammy at Hume Lake. I was there as a youth pastor and a counselor. You may not remember this. You guys were in the restaurant. We had a trip to Wyoming planned where we were going to hunt together, but I'd yeah. never met you or your family uh, except for one time you were working at Smart and Final. I, I ran into you there. And when I walked into the restaurant, you introduced me to Tammy. I, honestly, I was blown away at her beauty. And I thought, how did that guy get her? She is gorgeous. <laughs> but more than her physical beauty, she has a glow about her. And she's had the glow for the last 25 years that I've known you. Every picture, everything. You could tell she's a woman who is loved. And, I, and it's funny. The guys probably don't know this, but there's a viral Facebook post out there of you, Bob, uh, after a snow goose hunt, you must have killed 100 snow geese. And there's this huge heart that you made with 131. <laughs> but who's counting? Anyway, 131 snow geese. You made this massive heart. You took the right, the shotguns and you made an arrow through the heart and you kind of had your hands up like, this is for you, my love. I mean, and that that thing went viral. It, it just came across my feet again about a couple months ago. And Dale is over here shaking his head. He saw that thing. So all of this to say you have loved your wife well. What does it take to love a woman well over the course of four decades? What have you done? Give us some things you've done to help us love our women. Well, let me let rephrase me that. This. Let me tell um, us what, how to love our woman. <laughs> our woman. One woman. Not man. our women. <laughs> That's right. Our woman. Let me first say um, that I have not loved my wife perfectly. Um, hmm. I, I, I have always had that desire to love my wife well and to love her perfectly. And she is an angel, you know, sent to me. Tammy is an amazing woman. She, you know, she has this heart for the Lord and a heart for this mama bear heart for her family. Um, and, she, you know, she's, she's connected to Bible study fellowship. She's now in women's leadership. She has been for the last several years. And she's got this big heart for the Lord and this heart for, for um, people and heart for marriage, heart for her kids, now heart for her grandkids. Having said that, Jim, she should be very easy to love, okay? But because of my selfishness and my sinfulness, yeah. there was a, a long period of time, now stay with me on this, that I love Tammy if, instead of oh. loving Tammy because. Oh, wow. I love Tammy if she performed, if she lived up to my expectations, if we had sex as often as I thought we should, if she had the dinner on the table and what I wanted to eat, the list goes on. I loved her if. One of the things that I learned more recently in Reengage, um, which is a marriage ministry at the well here, is about grace-based marriage. Okay. Mm. And uh, and it means it's a decision and an act of choice every day to not love her if, but to love her because. Because. Christ first loved me and gave himself up for me, right? And I think, you know, that's where I'm focusing now at, you know, 61, soon to be 62 years old, is how can I love her um, with the grace that God and the agape love that God loved me? And so I'm still learning, Jim, and I am not perfect at it. And she, oh, she would tell you that. <laughs> but uh, yeah. he would tell you that. But but I can tell you that um, that uh, you know in reengage that I've learned and I'm learning to apply has been a game changer, um, and it's been significant in our marriage because for years I would I would revert to love her if, and I know she felt that you know, and she gave me grace you know, but. I'm, I'm really trying to love her because, and I think that's really, really important. And the other thing is, is from, um, Tammy and I didn't have the opportunity to do like a, a big marriage class, a premarital class or whatever. We did get some premarital counseling. It was required to get married. I'm going back to, you know, 1981 now. Right. Um, but Tammy had divorce, um, in her family big time, like, you know, her mom and dad divorced when she was very young. Um, and I did too, even though my mom and dad um, chose to stay together, which was awesome, right? Um, it was talked about often, 
and it was and it, and it rocked the foundation of their love for each other and our security as as their kids you know and we'll never forget that and so when we went into this thing called marriage we didn't know a lot about it but we were new in christ and what we did know is we, divorce wasn't going to be a part of it so one of our extramarital vows when we got married was is to never mention divorce in our home ever mm -hmm. like that's not going to be part of our dialogue it's not going to be something that we, we're not going there like this bus has no reverse right and by the grace of God, we have been faithful to that only by his grace. OK, but that's something that's very, very important in your commitment to your wife. Look, I don't like sometimes what she says. I don't like what she does. OK, but I'm not going anywhere like I'm in this for the long haul. The main thing is, Jim, is it's it's 100 percent commitment to each other the way God intended. Yeah. Um, and there's going to be ups and downs. Um, but applying the same grace, you know, that's been applied to my relationship with Christ, where he has loved me and, and given me grace. I've got to give my wife that same grace, you know? Yeah, that's really good, man. You know, it's really interesting. We had a guy on our podcast a couple years ago now, and he's, he's since then passed away a guy named Reggie Campbell. And on that podcast, he said that we need to accept our brides. And I thought that was very, very powerful. And you said not love Tammy if but to love tammy because and uh, i go back to 1995 when my marriage changed when i decided to out love and out serve my wife and these are all similar principles right that we are going to be christ to our wives regardless of how they perform because that's what christ has done for us he's given us all this love uh that we have not deserved as unwarranted unmerited and he's done that for us so hey bob i have a question you've raised Three sons, right? Three sons? Yep. Three sons and Three a daughter. Three sons, one daughter. And then you also, we have a great story with your son-in-law. You and I experienced that with him in Mendota. He's a police officer, so you got another son-in-law. I've raised three sons. You know, it's really interesting as I look at men out there and talk to men out there, and I'm currently the chaplain for Linfield University's football team, and talking to these guys at their chapel and at their after-practice prayer, you know, one of the things that I find myself having to do to men is to convince them that following Christ makes them more of a man, not less of a man. Have you experienced this with guys where they they are obstinate, where men are obstinate towards following Christ because they think that following Jesus will make them less of a man? What do you have to say to that? I think I think that kind of falls under the line of, you know, peer pressure, you know, and what the world says and and your Christian worldview. I mean, we got a lot of naysayers out there that are not only yeah. opposed to the faith, faith but they're um, <laughs> they're they're becoming more violent toward it, you know, um, which can you know put some pressure on today's man and especially young men, you know, that are really trying to find their way. Um, but but what I would say is is that there um, there is no stronger man than one humbly submitted to Christ, you know, to God, the God yeah, of the agreed. universe, you know, our creator, you know, if you want to know who you are, you got to know the one who made you and, mm -hmm. um, and put forth the effort to know him regardless of what, you know, the naysayers say, you know, regardless of the world that's rejecting God, um, and wants to do it without him. You know, I'm fortunate. My boys um, have responded well to uh, to faith. There's been, you know, they've had they've had to find their own Jesus, right? I think uh, there's a tendency for them to kind of draft off the parents for the first, you know, several years of life, even into their teen years, and ultimately they've got to, you know, have life's experiences um, and make choices of their own to pursue their faith in Christ and. Um, that's important. And boy, nothing weighs heavier on a parent, right? In fact, I think there's, mm -hmm. a, there's a scripture, um, don't remember the address off the top of my head, but where it talks about um, there's no greater joy than to see one's, uh, you know, children walking in the truth, right? I think that's really, yeah, really for sure. um, important. And, and as parents, like I see, I know how it weighs heavy on me, right? Is when I, when I contemplate, like, are they okay? Like, that's the biggest thing for me, right? Jobs, careers, those types of things, though they're important, we want to make sure that they're providing for their families, but are they leading their families well? You know, um, are they having those, those conversations with their, with their kids, with our grandkids, right? 
and leading them spiritually, uh, leading them to our Savior. I think, you know, that's just so important as men. And it's a call and responsibility yeah. that we have as men. Yeah, I agree 100%. That probably weighs on me more than any other thing in life is is my sons following Jesus, their wives doing the same and their children and passing that legacy on. It's tough. You know, we live in a world that um, is getting more and more antagonistic towards Christ. And I don't know about you, Bob, in in some way that excites me because the the gray lines you know, the, the, the lines between I prayed a prayer at five years old at my bedside and I really surrendered my life radically to Jesus in the Mendota Wildlife Refuge, those lines are getting more distinct. They're not as gray as they used to be, and I think that's really encouraging to me. I want to go back and I want to I want to quote you, Bob. You said something very powerful, and I, I say this all the time, but you said, if you want to know who you are, you have to know the God who made you. That is so powerful. Can you explain that deeper? Well, I think that, um, you know, we all um, at various times in our lives uh, have a little identity crisis. And the truth of the matter is, is we have a world that's going to try to identify us. Right. Yes. Um, Mm -hmm. And that can happen in a number of ways, you know, um, from the education system uh, on up through our careers. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't want to be defined by the world. I want to be defined by my creator. And, um, and I think to really, truly know who we are, our makeup, what we're about, what we're to do, um, that's defined by, by Christ. It's defined by our creator and no one else. And unfortunately, we do live in a world that um, exerts that influence all the time. So I think it's important yes. that we um, pursue our creator. And, you know, that's found in God's word, right? The Bible. That, that is where we can find out who we are. You can't, you can't know yourself until you know him. That's what I believe. Agreed. Um, I agree 100%. Really yep. Well, and I believe this, Bob. Uh, I believe that a man is never more of a man than when he follows Christ. I believe that that knowing your creator and pursuing him radically is what takes a man from being a good man to a great man or his best version. And I'll stand on that. You know, it's really funny, Bob, and this is what I appreciate about you, man. You've been resolute in your faith since I've known you. When I'm around you, I walk away better every time. And, uh, you know, one of the things I like to tell guys is this, you know, if you are radically following Jesus, you have to be 100% comfortable with this fact. You will always be in the minority. Everywhere you go, you will probably be in the top 10%, 90% of people will oppose your world, your, the, 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 the radical devotion to your worldview, and uh, you will always be surrounded. And you just have to realize that, that God has placed you in this world and that you're fighting from a point of minority and fighting from a point of being surrounded, and that has to invigorate you. Yeah. It, it should not intimidate you. It has to invigorate you. What are your thoughts? No, I, I agree. Um, you've got to get uh, comfortable with the uncomfortable. Right? Absolutely. Um, and there's some vulnerability in that. It's not always easy. Um, and that's another reason why I believe we need to do life together as men. Because I don't yeah, know about sure. you, Jim. I can I, I could guess, but I'd, I'd have to say you probably have men in your life, men of courage, godly men who have called you up and out. Yeah of certain mindsets and, and certain behaviors. Right. Um, and I'm thankful for those men. I'm thankful for those that will, um, lead by example and model for me, um, you know, how I should live, how I should think. And there, there are a host of men in my life that I can say have done that. Um, and they'd probably tell you the same that, you know, I've done some of that for them. Um, but we also know there's a lot of folks out there that have um, exerted some some negative influence, right? And we need Absolutely. those positive role models to kind of stand us up, dust us off, point us back in that direction, right? And we just keep going. Um, Absolutely. You know, Jim, the one other thing that I would say, you know, what we were talking about, I'm, I'm learning, Jim, that I have to die to myself. Um, I'm learning that to follow Christ, right? I do need to shoulder that cross and take it up. Um, yep. Because the reality is we are bent as men um, to find our satisfactions in a lot of different things in this life. 
And what I'm finding is, especially as I grow older, is that there are some things that that lead me down a path, perhaps not a path of destruction, right? But a path of distraction. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. And man, Jim, I I know that the Lord says we don't know the day or the hour uh, when he returns, right? I believe he's coming to take his bride, uh, the church, um, out of this mess. Um, but it does say we'll know the season. And I really sense in my spirit that we're in a season uh, that's getting close, you know? And uh, that kind of promotes in me an urgency. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm starting to sense that urgency to like, what's most important to me? What do I value? What am I spending my time doing and thinking about? And what am I devoted to? And, um, and I'm, I'm finding myself challenged, you know, um, because I do believe time is drawing near. It's nearer than it was before. Right. Uh, as, yeah, as for Paul sure. would say. And, uh, and I think as men, we've got to be mindful of that. Like, look what's going on around us. You know, that should motivate us and cause us to want to stand and occasionally draw and swing the sword. Right. Absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm fired up about that, man. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ. Therefore, I no longer live, but Jesus Christ now lives in me. This life I live in the flesh, I live for the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. And every day mm-hmm. it's about, you know, it's about getting up and dying to myself and living for Christ, you know. And so, so important, man. Hey, uh, before we leave, I've got a question. Uh, I read your bio and, and I didn't know you were doing this. You've, you've after 40 years of working in corporate management, uh, you stepped out of that and you started your own consulting business. And honestly, when I read that, I thought, you know, Bob would be a great consultant. He is a people guy. He's lived what he's lived, what he's teaching. But but when what, what, tell me about this consulting thing, man. What's it called? And and who are you consulting? So it's it's Robert Thomas and consulting. And, and so, yeah, I what I did was I stepped out of the uh, the corporate management Been doing that for a number of years and uh, and just got to the point, man, where I got to start thinking, you know, long term about quality of life work-life balance. Um, and quite honestly, Tammy and I were not able to commit to, uh, you know, like re-engage ministry because, you know, some of this stuff, like our closed groups are 16 to 20 week commitment. And with the work schedule I was keeping, you know, and just the grind, you know, 50 to 60 hour work weeks and, you know, and uh, middle level management. Um, I was in operations. So, uh, store operations for 27 years, warehouse and distribution logistics, um, operations for, uh, 12 years and just decided to, to say, you know what, what if, and so, um, may have, you know, had the opportunity to, uh, to leave my last job and move into this. Some people, you know, kind of supported me in that and, uh, encouraged me in that. So here I am a year later and it's going well. Um, I've, I've been able to work for, um, a food service operator here locally, great company. Um, and, Really, what I've been able to do is help them with continuous improvement projects and their warehouse and distribution. Um, I've been mentoring their management teams and operations, um, and just you know providing some structure and and things of that nature, and and help kind of you know pick them up. They're a they're a growing company, third generation, that uh, is growing so fast. They they just needed some help, and so um, that's where I've been, and I've got my you know kind of my feelers out to a couple other local companies here that I hope to be working with real soon. I've been uh, with this company, uh, JD Food, for about a year, and it's been a great ride, man. So I enjoy what I'm doing. It's given us that that work-life balance a little bit, you know. Um, mm-hmm. I, I can work the hours that, uh, that, that I want to work, right? A little bit flexible as I start thinking about retirement down the road, but I could see myself doing this for many more years. So truly grateful for the opportunity, Jim. Yeah, that's cool, man. I, I didn't know if you're uh, coaching people personally, like a personal coach or consultant, but you're doing business consulting. So that that's that's good, man. I'm excited for you, and I'm sure whatever you do, you're going to crush it like you've always done. So thanks, buddy. Thanks for coming on the show, man. I really appreciate uh, From a selfish perspective, it's always great to see your face and hear your voice. And, and uh, man, you've just got some great stuff to bring, and thanks for bringing it today. Likewise, Jim. Thank you, man. It's so good to see you. Love what you're doing. And uh, just pray, pray for you often, brother. Uh, we got to stay in do. touch, man. We got to get a hunt on the calendar in the future. So 
Flushing. I know it, buddy. Hey, hey, guys, let's get our boots on the ground. What are you going to do about what you've heard today? And, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to ask this question. Do you shower before you take a bath? Let me let me rephrase it. Do you take a bath before you take a shower? Hey, this is a great time, guys, to recommit yourself to Jesus and to doing things that will make you a better version and to make you a better leader. So, guys, I want to encourage you guys to head on over to meninarena.org, grab your free copy of my new book, Tell Them What Great Fathers Tell Their Sons and Daughters. And while you're there, sign up. You've heard Bob mention this several times today. Sign up to join one of our virtual teams. Just click the Join Our Program button. Our winter launches in January. Until next time, feel the wet sand on the arena floor. Hear the deafening roar of the crowd. Taste the sweetness of victory. Smell the stench of battle. Get in the game. Get dirty. Grind it out. And be a man. You've been listening to the Men in the Arena podcast. If you hunger to be your best version, then join thousands of men from around the world in our Men in the Arena forum on Facebook. This is the best place to have open discussions around the topic of biblical manhood. Make sure to explore our website at meninthearena.org, sign up for the weekly equipping blast, and take advantage of our many free resources designed to help you become your best version of a man. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. Remember, when a man gets it, Everyone wins. What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men for from around the world and find out the type of dad you are.